Well, hey, if you're here for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning. And those joining us online for the first time, welcome. And uh, always a special shout out to our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. Show them some love, family clap for them. Are you doing all right today? You doing well? Well, hey, we are finishing up this short little conversation around because he gave. And I'm excited to share with you um, uh, today as we kind of conclude our our kind of thoughts wrapping up this short little series on because he gave. And um, before I get into that, I wanted to remind you, we there's is this on your seat? If this is on your seat, could you grab it for me? And if you threw it on the ground, that's okay. There's no judgment in God's house. I, I don't. So it's like, has, they probably want my money, and you threw it on the ground. That's okay. I'm, I'm not going to get upset with you. But um, don't read it all just yet. But I want you to know that our heart for you and, and our desire for you is to equip you to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to God. Now, look at me for just a second. I kind of did that backwards. I shouldn't have told you to do that. If you're like me, you'll just stare at that for the next 10 minutes. Um, do you know that your life... Just by the way you live it, it can be seen as either a surrendered life or a life that's not surrendered. Just by the way that you live your life. In every aspect of your life, it can either point to God or it can point to you. It can be that way in your marriage. It can be that way in your relationships. It can be that way in how you utilize and steward the gifts and talents that God has blessed you with. Today, I want to talk to you about a topic, um, and some of you, you might want to like, it's like, oh, really? But I want to talk to you today about the topic of money, specifically the tithe. That's the response I expected. And, um, <laughs> but listen to me, if you're here for the first time, some of you, you've invited family and friends for years, and today was the day they said yes. And now that you're here and you're saying, Really? Just so you know, it's not like a weird setup. We didn't find out that you were going to be here for the first time. I say, let's talk about money and make them angry. That's not why we did this. This message was planned since the beginning of the year in January, and we put it in throughout the entire year of our scheduling and our preaching. But this is something I'm incredibly passionate about, and I'll tell you why. So much misunderstanding around the church and finances, so much bad teaching around it, and the truth be told, I was raised in an environment that was more concerned about the response of people than they were with having a reverence and fear of God. Not that tithing didn't exist and not that people weren't generous, but there was never teaching on it. It was almost as if, don't, don't, don't tell people they can be blessed. Let's just hope they find out that they can be blessed. And, and I remember being raised in church and having great examples in my parents and other people in the church and watching them. And only until I began to grow in my knowledge of God did I realize, man, they've been doing this tithing thing, this tenthing thing, whatever you call it. Someone said, what is this tithing thing that you guys do? And, 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 and there's always misunderstanding around it. And I was like, hey, why don't we talk about this? Well, like, oh, whoa, whoa, don't do that. Like, well, why not? You, you know how many people you will piss off if you talk about money? Don't, if, I'm, never, I'm not kidding you. Someone said to me one time, if you want to build a church, just don't, don't do that. I said, now how, how do I take that rationale and apply it to the word of God? So should I not talk about adultery in case someone here is committing adultery? Should I not talk about sexual purity, the institution of marriage, gossip, unforgiveness, in fear of offending someone? You see the logic in that. No, 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 we, and, and sometimes I, I remember I heard someone um, who did not give our church a five-star Google review. I'll tell you that. 
And, and this is why. And I will take this. I will take a one-star review every day of the week if this is the reason. If they accuse us of preaching the word of God and the word of God offends them, then I'm completely fine with that. But this is what, this is true. But I also recognize that many people come to church with a lot of, I don't know how to say this, um, past experience. And the past experience has, has not been one that they delight in, nor do they want to relive over and over again. I want you to know that my heart is to equip you to do life well, to resource you, to walk with you in your journey. Do you know the word of God teaches us that God in his nature, he's patient with us and he's kind towards us. How many people are grateful for the patience and kindness of God? And, and some of you are like, well, no, no, no. This is what it means. You, if, you're not, if you're here today and you don't want to forgive a person in your world, do you know the Bible says that he, the Bible instructs you to forgive because you have been forgiven much? But even if you refuse to forgive, guess what? God still loves you and he's patient with you in your refusal to forgive. And so no matter where you are in your journey and your walk with God, all we desire to do is come alongside you. For, for over the last 15, 16 years, it's been our heart to equip people every year, not just teach people about the principle of generosity and giving, which I think it often happened in church in the past. It was always just how teach people how to give, tell people to give. But the truth is we want you to steward well what God has already blessed you with. How many of you, when you get to the end of your life, you want to hear God say to you, well done, thy good and faithful servant? How many of you want to hear that, right? Well, how many of you that are clapping know that that comes out of the parable of Matthew 25 that has to do with how you steward your finances? <laughs> it's terrible, but it's true. It's the portion of scripture that has to do with how you steward what God gives you. Now, listen to me. It is much broader than just the context of finances. It's speaking directly to your finances, but it has to do with how do you steward that which God has blessed you with, the skills, the talents, the resources, the relationships, all of those things, but particularly money. Do you know what he says to the one servant who took what God gave them and he hid it and buried it and did not honor God with stewarding it well? God says, you are wicked and lazy. I don't want to talk today about money for no other reason than to help you live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. And for everyone in this room and those joining us online, some of you are at different seasons. Some of you, you have been giving to God longer than I've been alive. It is not an issue with you. You were raised in the ways of God. You understand all the scriptures about giving and you freely give to God and you do it with a cheerful heart. And then some of you, you, you were never taught about it. And this is why we're teaching once a year specifically about the tithe because there's not a whole lot of context in understanding it. And others, you've been in church for a long time and you just, you struggle with it. And listen, hear it from me. It's okay, but this is what I desire from you is that you would actually seek after the things of God. And what does God's word say about the areas of your finances and your, and your tithe? I'll say this before I go any further. I, I don't just want you to know what the Bible teaches about stewardship and tithing and finances. I want to help you on your journey. That card that um, you picked up, and now that you know we're talking about money, you probably did rip it up and throw it, but um, it's on your seat, and inside this card, our team has done a lot to help each one of you in your areas of, of where you find yourself. Some of you, um, you've, never, you've never tithed before. You have a lot of questions wrapped up in it, and our team wants to walk, you, walk with you through the journey of tithing and um, if you take this card and look on the bottom of it, it's beyond 
just tithing. Some of you need help stewarding the rest. And so we provide a financial learning experience, an oxen investment experience, a legacy trust, which is something we offer to everyone in the church, which is basically compiling a living will for you and your family that will be managed for the life of um, the will and the living trust. Um, and in addition to that, we have a Care Plus financial track where our team has put together ways to help you steward what God has already blessed you with. And um, additionally, uh, when you leave today, uh, we have an additional resource we want to bless you with. This is a book called God, Money, and Me, written by Pastor Paul DeYoung from New Zealand. He's a good, dear friend of ours. And he put together an incredible resource that will help you. It's very practical, but it's thorough in teaching you what the Bible tells us about finding financial freedom in your journey with the Lord. And this is for you. Some of you are like, there's a catch. No, there's no catch, really. You're like, they're going to get our email. I don't want your email. <laughs> I don't want your social security. I don't want your cell phone. I don't want any of that. Just if you want to take a resource, do it. It's free to you. We want to help you in your journey with the Lord. Is that good? Um, some people, this is going to bother me. Um, so we're going to get into it. Is that all right? Okay. It's going to be, listen, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Some of you are like, oh, where is it going to say? It's going to be all right. Trust me, it's not going to be bad. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. This is what Paul writes. He says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In every good work. You know, when it comes to the areas of money and finances, um, the reason I always find it fascinating is because, because it's neglected to be discussed so much, the reactions to it are often extreme. I never forget when um, I really started to communicate from the platform and, and preach, every time I'd talk about a topic that might be difficult to hear, um, the lights when we first started in church used to be really bright, and, um, but they help me now in keeping them dark so I don't have to see everyone's facial expression because then I would not get through any message. But um, normally, whenever I would talk about finances, just by the way that people would look at me, I could tell if they were tithing. Not really, but most of the time it was true because whenever we talked about it, those who tithe go like this. And those who didn't looked at me like they wanted to kill me, you know. And, and, but I, I get that, and that's okay. I, I, I've been in that place in my journey of faith, and I want you to know that, that it's all right to have questions about what does the tithe really mean. I want to begin first before we talk about the obedience to God and blessings that come from God through tithing and honoring God through stewarding our finances and ultimately the freedom that comes with surrendering everything to God I want to talk to you first about having a fear of the Lord. I realize in my journey of faith that whenever there's an absence of the fear of the Lord, there's often a miss, there is a wrong motive in our pursuit of Him. The Scriptures teach us in Proverbs 9.10 that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Do you know this fear of the Lord is not a fear you run from, but it's a fear that will draw you to itself. You actually run to it. So to have a fear of the Lord does not mean I run away from the Lord. It means the exact, exact opposite. It means I run to the Lord because I have a reverence and an awe of who He is. If I don't have a fear of the Lord, meaning if I'm not running to the wisdom of God, I have a fear of man and I'm running to the wisdom of man. And the Bible teaches us that the beginning of wisdom is found first of having a fear and a reverence for who God is. 
There's no point in talking about um, how to honor God with things if you're not surrendered to God. If you're not surrendered to God, and, and then, then what it, it turns into is, is trying to be polite and how I say this. It's like, it's the way that I get my kids through the grocery store. There's a lot of guilt, condemnation, fake promises, like threatening people, like you will be happy and not embarrass me. Like, like God doesn't motivate us that way. He doesn't. Like I, I didn't come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ because someone held a gun to my head and said, you will say yes to Jesus. And I'm like, wow, this is the greatest gift of heaven. No, I, that's not it. Some of us actually follow the Lord like that. We feel like we're, and I don't know the background you've come from. I don't know your story. I don't know your, you know, your, your pains and your hurts. And some of you are justified in the pains and the hurts that you have. But I'm telling you, that's because you live, we live in a fallen, broken world and sin abounds in our humanity, but we serve a perfect God. And keep running to Jesus, keep seeking after the things of Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's in him and in him alone that you will find freedom and hope in Christ. And, and as we talk about this topic, I realize that, that unsurrendered things prevent us from walking in freedom to God. But to have a fear of the Lord means to have a reverence of who he is, and it means that you are postured to surrender to his ways. For the message of the cross, listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The power of God. When you talk to people about the supernatural work of the cross, that we are born again through the finished work of Christ on the cross, through the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you and I have been redeemed in the eyes of God. We are no longer enslaved and bound by sin, but we are new creations in Christ, heaven-bound, redeemed sons and daughters of God. When you say that to someone who's in the world, they're like, <laughs> you're crazy. You're crazy. The Bible actually says to the fallen world, it's foolishness. But to those of us who have been redeemed, it is the power of God unto salvation. That's what the Bible teaches. Psalm 112 says this. Listen to this, family. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord. Blessed. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Did you, did you hear that? Find delight in his commands. Delight in his commands, meaning that you trust God to, so that when he says, this is the way to walk, you say, I'm going to walk in it. I delight. And it's almost like you seek after God. Which way should I go? Help me, God, figure it out. If someone wants to know how I've come to learn to walk in God's ways, it's because I've seen the ramifications of me walking in my own way. And it's like when the Bible says that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, I want that. I'm tired of falling down because of my own lack of understanding and wisdom in life. I want God to direct me and guide me relationally, emotionally, in every way of my leadership. I want his wisdom, which this is what it means. It means that those who delight in God's word will be blessed. To delight in his commands. I remember when I hurt my knee, I went to the doctors. I couldn't fully extend it, and I knew something was wrong in my meniscus, and I figured if I just rode a bike really fast, it would deal with the problem. It didn't work. So I went to the doctors. It's bad thinking. And um, I, I went to the doctors, and they scoped it. And I went back for my post-op, and I said, well, how did it go? And he looked great, you know. 
we took out what was what was caught. I said, well, how much? He's like, all of it. And uh, I said, is that bad? He says, yeah, it's pretty bad. You need a meniscus. I said, ah, I should be okay. And he says, do you like swimming and biking? I said, no, I, I sink when I swim and I don't like riding a bike. And I said, well, how do I know like when I need to do something? He says, you'll fall. I said, that doesn't sound very fun. He says, no, I know, but you'll be able to tell. And so as my knees started to wear and get worse, I would literally just start walking and I'd just fall. Talk about embarrassing, you know, kind of really confident having a conversation and just on the ground. And, um, and I used to prank people all the time and just kind of, oh, you know, and, and I was like, I'm sorry, that wasn't a pretend fall. That like legit hurt, you know. And finally, I had to get my knee ultimately fixed. But what I realized in life is, is God allows us, listen to me, Someone asked me before years ago, they said, you know, I, the tithe thing, like, do I have to tithe? They asked me in the lobby, I think it was at JMT, and I looked at my face, I said, no, you don't. And they're like, oh, thank you, God. You know, and I was like, well, you don't have to do anything God says. You really don't. Like, you, you choose to surrender or not surrender. This is what I think, this is where the problem comes in, ultimately. We want to tell God I'm surrendered, but not really be surrendered. And so when you tell God, I am surrendered, and then God said, there is a byproduct, meaning this, a surrendered life looks a certain way and a non-unsurrendered life looks a certain way. So when you tell people, I'm surrendered, but your life doesn't look surrendered, that's where you have the moral conflict. That's where you get frustrated. That's where you start saying, well, you know, I guess, you know, they got to stop talking about these things at church and just happy, clappy message stuff so I don't have to feel convicted. Well, the Bible says if we don't walk in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God, we're deceiving ourselves. We're not deceiving anyone else. The Bible says, God shall not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And so if we want people to find freedom in Christ, we have to tell them what God's word tells us. Verse 2 continues in Psalms. It says, their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Family, I'm not going to lie. I want that to be my story. I want that to be my family's story. I want to learn how to delight in the ways of God. I want to learn what it means to actually live with a fear of God. When I talk to you about what, an unsur what a surrendered life looks like, um, being raised in the church brings with it some, some positives and some benefits. How many of you were raised in church from a, as, a, as a child? Can you put your hands up if you were raised in church? Oh, man, I'm talking to a lot of you. Okay, this is fun. This is fun. And um, so when you're raised in the church, like whether you get it or not, you're supposed to pretend like you do. It's like, you know, you're gonna, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have no idea what you're saying, but you're, you were raised in church, so you're supposed to just say, yeah, I get it. Act, you know, and you have no clue. A lot of this was formed around the area of, of finances for me. And I remember early on, when, when I kind of started, and isn't it hilarious, you never have a clue about tithing when you have no money until you have money. And you're like, what is, what is this? Who does this? Why are we doing this? I don't want to give anyone my money because I've worked so hard for my stuff, and it's mine, and I work. And, and my father and mother were patient with me and teaching me things, and I realized all along they've been doing this their entire life. 
They've been faithful to God in every season, and I've watched it, and so they were being patient with me and understanding this. I remember going on, on, on the Internet and trying to figure out ways to, you know, uh, finding Bible teachers that would tell me that you don't need to do this. And I was like Googling, like, what, tr- what scriptures can I find? And, and I found someone saying, well, it is, it is, you know, in the, it is a law, and we're not under the law, we're under grace. And then I actually opened my Bible and found out that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek, which is pre the giving of the law. And then he instructed in the law. I said, yeah, but we're not under the Old Testament. We're under a new covenant. And then I, I said, so I used to tell people, I'm, I believe in grace giving. And then I turned to Acts chapter 4, and the Bible says when they lived under grace, everyone brought everything they owned and put it at the feet of the apostles. I said, I'm not under grace giving. I don't want to be under grace giving. I don't know what I want, but I don't want that. You know, and I was conflicted. I didn't know what to say. And then I remember saying, well, time out, Jesus, and this is bad theology, by the way, but I remember saying, if Jesus doesn't say it, then, then it's not really that, if it's not in red. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, eh, well, that's probably not too good, because in John 1, John 1, it teaches us that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. It means Jesus has always been. This is the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus in one. So whether it's in red or not... It is the word of truth. I just didn't know that before I went to seminary. And so I remember saying like, well, at least Jesus never says the word tithe in the New Testament. And so I opened the Bible and I read Matthew chapter 23. And this is what it says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you pay tithe on the mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done meaning the tithe you should have done, or, or the justice, mercy, and faith, without leave, leaving the others undone. So he's listening, tithe, yes, give God your first yes. He's talking about the heart in which they do it. Don't prompt around and say, look at all we're doing. No, you should do it with a right heart before God. You're returning to God what is his. But he says, don't neglect the weightier matters, which are justice, mercy, and faith. Someone told me one time, the greatest test for you to determine whether or not you have a surrendered heart in the area of finances is what do you feel when someone starts talking about the topic? Like, that's stupid, you know? (laughs) But it was true for me. Anytime the topic would be talked about, I I used to get disgruntled. I used to get, you know, frustrated. And I suppose the reason being is because I knew what was right and I didn't want to surrender it. The Bible talks a lot about tests. I remember getting to the point in my journey of faith where I'm like, this just feels like a huge test. And I, how many of you, like, despise tests? Like, you would rather go bungee jumping and jump out of a plane than take a test. Like, I just, I, I, I had the weird, like, cold sweats when someone's like, hey, you have an exam. I'm like, oh, I'm sick. You know, I just don't want to be there. And, and when I come read the scriptures and I find out in Malachi, which is my son's name, Malachi 3, um, that God says, test me in it. Test me. In the years past, we used to do something called the 90-day tithing challenge, and, and we're still providing a challenge for some of you who are here today. If you're like, no, I don't, I don't believe The reason I'm confident in it, because I'm not saying, trust me. And I'm not saying, put your hope in me. And I'm not saying that I will open the windows of heaven. I don't have that access card to do that. I can't do that. But God says, test him in it. And you know what God's really surrendering, is saying to you? He's saying, will you surrender everything and actually allow me to be Lord of your life. The tithe is really very little to do with your finances and more of you saying to God, you have sovereignty and lordship over my life. 
That's what it means. And it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. Do you know the scriptures are filled, listen, filled with tests. And every test that is represented in scripture has with it this connection of the number 10. Did you know that? The number 10 is actually the number biblically of testing and obedience. I just want to read to you a few of them. It's not all of them by any means, just a few of them. But God brought 10 plagues to Egypt as a test. Do you remember that? God gave 10 commandments to Moses as a test of obedience. Daniel set up a test for 10 days to live as an Israelite with the Babylonian culture. The phrase God said is found 10 times in Genesis 1 as a test of obedience to follow him. Noah was the 10th generation from Adam, and he was greatly tested in his obedience to build the ark. Abraham was the 10th generation from Noah, and he would be tested in his obedience to offer Isaac as a sacrifice to God. God promised Abraham he would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember this? If he could find 10 righteous men in the city. Jesus himself used the number 10 many times in his parables to talk about obedience and testing in Matthew chapter 25 with 10 virgins and Luke chapter 17 with 10 lepers. Each of them was a test of obedience. If you continue to read throughout the scriptures, you'll constantly find this number 10 linked to a test. For many of us, when we say, why a tenth? What is tithing? Tithing is derived from an old English word that literally just means tenth. What we say when we say we're tithing is we are bringing 10% of what God's blessed us with back to his house. Now, one of the fascinating things about tithing is that when you learn about the principle of first fruits, you recognize that the tithe isn't even discretionary for you to determine what to do with it. For the, I don't have the time, but as you read the resource that Pastor Paul DeYoung and other resources that will bless you with through some of you taking this challenge, which Robert Morris does one call, gives, uh, writes an incredible resource called The Blessed Life. In The Blessed Life, he talks about the significance of first fruits to God. In Exodus, God instructs the people of Israel that the first is his. It's not optional in everything. In the harvest, in the livestock, everything. The first is, is the first must be sacrificed or redeemed. It teaches us in Exodus. Sacrifice and redeem. It belongs to God. Now, early on, when, when I was understanding this principle, I said, well, I'm going to give God my, my, my tithe. And someone quickly corrected me. He says, well, you can't give it. I said, well, y- yes, I can. I can give it. They said, well, technically you can't because it's not yours to give. I was like, I'm not going to tell you what I said, but I was like, okay, whatever. And, and, um, but they're like, you're returning the tithe. And it's a teaching to understand that when God talks about the tithe and honoring him with the first, his expectation is the tithe belongs to him. And so when we bring the tithe to God, we're returning what he's entrusted us back to him. Listen to what Malachi 3 tells us. Many of you know this, this passage. It is the, the, the climax of the testing of God in the area of your finances. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God tests us in this. It's a legitimate test. Test God in it. God wants your heart, 
and, and for some of you, just so you know, like God doesn't need your resources. The resources are called to be brought to the house of God to further the command of God to, to expand the message of hope in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. The church, the local church, is the greatest expression of heaven here on earth. The church is the very vessel that God uses to bring his love, hope, mercy, and grace to a lost and fallen world. And God instructs us to bring it to the house. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian and preacher, says this, I do not think I exaggerate when I say that some of us put our offering in the plate with a kind of triumphant bounce, as much to say, there. Now, God, you will feel better. I'm obliged to tell you that God does not need anything you have. He does not need a dime of your money. It is your spiritual welfare that is at stake in such of these matters, in these matters. You have the right to keep what you have all to yourself, but it will only rust and decay, and ultimately, it'll ruin you. When you read in Matthew chapter 6, and the Bible instructs us that none of us in this room have the capacity to serve two masters. The Bible is teaching us this simple principle, but significant one, that tells us that no one in this room can take your heart and divide it in two. And I'm going to give a portion of my heart to this and a portion of my heart to that. The Bible says, ultimately, you will despise one and you will love the other, but you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, you might ask, why does the scriptures talk about that? For many people, they're not even aware of the fact that Jesus talks about money in one of the top three topics throughout the entire of, of the New Testament. You would be like, why? Jesus understood that there would be one thing that would come after your heart more viciously than anything else in this world. And it would be the promises of monetary possessions and the things that the world gives. And so Jesus teaches us how to surrender those things to God, to give him lordship over all of those areas in our life. I want to show you this brief video before we finish our time together of this morning. This video is one that we show often. You might be familiar with it. But I want you to listen carefully to the narrator of this video because he's going to walk you through not only stories of the word of God in a very condensed short amount of time, but he's going to share with you the importance of the principle of first fruits as it's represented throughout Scripture. Pay attention to the screen. Two men bring an offering to the Lord, one of the fruit of the ground, the other the firstborn of his flock. God accepts one and rejects the other. Why? Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. The word tells us clearly that the offering Abel brought was the firstborn of his flock. But it doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits of his crops. It simply says, in the process of time, Cain brought an offering. Cain harvested his crops and over time gathered enough to bring an offering. It was an offering on Cain's terms. God accepted Abel's offering because it was the first of his increase. Cain's offering was rejected because it wasn't the first of his. Giving the first to God requires faith. When a firstborn lamb is born in a flock, it's not possible to know how many more lambs that you might produce. But Abel gave his firstborn lamb in faith whereas Cain made sure he had enough for himself before giving to God. 
Many of us treat God the same way as Cain, making sure we have enough money before we see if there's anything left for God. Even if we give from what's left over, God can't accept the offering because it's not the first fruit. Other stories emphasize this truth. In the account of the fall of Jericho, the Lord gave strict instructions that the Israelites were not to keep any of the spoils from Jericho. All of it belonged to him, the Lord declared. Jericho belonged to the Lord because it was the first city conquered in the Promised Land. It was the first fruits. God withheld his blessing from Israel when one man took some of the spoils for himself. The first belongs to God. There was much more at stake than money when Abraham offered his firstborn son Isaac. When God asked for his son, Abraham didn't wait to have ten sons before giving Isaac. He gave the first when he only had one to give. Abraham had only the promise of having more sons. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac, faith that God respected and blessed. And God did the same for us. He gave his first in the form of his son, his first and only begotten son, who was given to us while we were still sinners. God gave Jesus in faith that we might one day give our lives to him. The gift of his son came before the blessing of our repentance and salvation. We give our first fruits in much the same way. Before we see the blessing of God, we give it in faith. Giving the first fruits of your income says to God, I recognize you first. I am putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest. To think about the idea that the first belongs to God, it, it can, um, it messes with you a little bit until you understand that God gave his first and his best to us in, the, in Jesus. When you think about all that God has done for us, some of you, you have to spend time with yourself, just you, you and God. Some of you, you've been battling this, this topic. You've been circling the wagon around this topic for years. Can I do it? Should I do it? I don't know if I can. Trust God. It's not easy. The Bible says the water didn't stop until the priest stepped in Jordan. Some of you just need to take a step faith and trust God with it and I'm telling you God will show up in ways in your life that you never thought he would I cannot think about tithing without thinking about Jesus God gave us his first and his best to let him be a living sacrifice to go to the cross to die and to bleed to be buried to defeat sin and death so that you and I could be redeemed. He would become the final lamb for all humanity, the final sacrifice. Everything that God asks us to do, he's already done for us, everything. And I pray that our time together today will help you see the heart of God, would help you lean into him a little more. I want to pray for some of you before we go. Could you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe you don't know what it's like to find freedom and hope in God. I want you to know that the Bible is incredibly clear about how one receives salvation. Jesus stands before a group of people and he says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. You might ask the question, well, how do I get to heaven? How do I spend eternity with God? My friend, there's one problem, one thing separating you and a personal relationship with the Father, and it's called sin. Sin means missing the mark. It means that you've done things in in a dishonoring and displeasing way before God, and there's nothing you can do to pay for your sin except give of your own life. The Bible says that the only way that, they can, that you can deal with sin is through the shedding of blood. And so God devises a plan to redeem humanity, just as all humanity is bound by sin through Adam. One man would come from heaven to earth, live a perfect life, and go to the cross and shed his blood, though he did not need to. He did it at his, at his own will so that all of us could be redeemed. The Bible says that when God sent Jesus from heaven to earth, he sent him so that we could have a way to reconnect with God for all eternity. Jesus says that he's come to deal with sin so that people could be born again. Paul would write in Romans chapter 10 that if you and I confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we shall be saved. For many of us, this idea seems just too good to be true. It might even seem perplexing. You're telling me all I need to do is to confess with my mouth and believe in Jesus and I'm saved. And I'm telling you today, yes, that's what you need to do. The Bible says that there's power in your words. There's life and death and the power in your your tongue. And the Bible says that confession is significant. And when you confess it and believe that God raised Christ from from the grave, the Bible says you shall be saved. The old is gone and the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ, a son and daughter of the King. True North family, help me lead those who are here today and those who are us online in this prayer of salvation. Repeat this prayer after me. Come on, family, help them today. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin in the grave. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, family, clap for everybody that said that. Come on, family, stand to your feet with me before we go. If you said yes to Jesus as you exit today in the lobby, you're going to see people waving this New Testament Bible. It's a gift from us to you. We'd love to help you in your journey with the Lord. And for everyone else, um, we have a gift one per family as you exit today. Our team is out there in the lobby willing to give you one of these resources. And I want to encourage you um, to seek after the things of God. Pick this up, read it. I'm telling you, it'll bless you and your children and your children's children in the years to come. So family, also, um, I don't want to forget this, but I want to encourage you to take this with you. You can sign up at your time for whatever you want. But I want to encourage you to take this with you so that you'll have access to sign up for the resources that we're making available to you to help you in your journey with the Lord. Will you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you before we go. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you for your kindness, your patience, your gentleness. Lord, I ask right now that you would strengthen us as we go in this week. Lord, we ask that you would guide and direct us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that no weapon formed against us will prosper. Lord, may we be reminded that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. God, we, may we be reminded that you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father, put a hedge of protection around every marriage represented in this space, every family. 
God, protect our children in the name of Jesus. May no weapon formed against them prosper. Father, I thank you that you've called us to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. May we do that this week. May we bring you honor and glory in all that we do. Go with us as we go. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. In a faith-filled church, said, amen. God bless, family. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope the message was encouraging to you. I hope it was challenging to you. I just pray that it, it edified you in the season that you find yourself in. One of, our, uh, one of our core values here at True North is we believe that we're made to move. And, and when we say that, I know sometimes people are confused by that. They're like, well, what does that mean, move? And, and we don't believe it's irrelevant or just random movement. We believe that is intentional movement um, in your personal walk with Jesus. We believe that that movement is, is directed and guided right to the person of Jesus. And we've, we've built and designed not only our church website, but our church app around the, the intention and the heart to help equip you and resource you on that journey with Jesus. So I pray that you take the time to look at our website, look at our app, and maybe you'll be encouraged through Care Plus or some of the devotionals that are available to you or past messages that are available to you. Share it with other people as it's our intention to resource, resource people in their personal journey with Jesus.